Do you want to become a better hockey player this summer with Paul Vincent Hockey? Since 1972, Paul Vincent, currently the head skills instructor of the Florida Panthers, has been developing NHL and college hockey players. Paul Vincent stands by his saying, there is always room for player development. Players such as Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Matt Grizzlick, Patrick Sharp, Adam Oates, and many more have trained with Coach Vincent and his staff and have outstanding results. Join Paul Vincent this summer at one of his four Massachusetts locations, Canton, Saugus, Middleton, and Falmouth on Cape Cod. Registration is now open for 2021 camps. To reserve your spot today, go to pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. That's pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. Paul Vincent is ready to get back to work this summer. Are you? Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to another edition of the New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. I am Kirk Ludicky. As always, it's great to have you here. We've got a nice show today. Uh, looking forward to uh, having a, an in-depth hockey discussion. But before we get to that, just a reminder to go to HockeyJournal.com, check out all of our exclusive content, become a subscriber, uh, check out all the hockey we have at all levels throughout the New England region. And if you like the podcast, go to Spotify, Apple, our website, or any place you get your podcasts and download, subscribe, uh, and, be, and, and listen to our episodes. They are free. So our episode today is with former Brown University forward and NHL forward Aaron Volpatti, and uh, he's, a, he's a pretty fascinating story, and he overcame, overcame some significant obstacles and uh, is just kind of got something really interesting going on in, in terms of how he works with hockey players. So with that in mind, let's uh, get right to it. Here is my conversation with Aaron Volpatti. Welcome to another edition of RinkWise. I'm your host, Kirk Ludicky, here with Aaron Volpatti. Aaron, uh, thank you for joining us. Former Brown University player, former uh, Vancouver Canucks and Washington Capitol and uh, hockey guy, performance coach, all that, uh, all that good stuff. We're good to it, but uh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Kirk. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, yeah, Aaron, um, we had we had one of your former teammates on the rink wise earlier this season, Bobby Farnham, and he spoke pretty highly of you. You know, just as a, as a teammate that taught him a lot uh, when he was in in school, and 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 taught him how to be a, a better player, and he and he really respected you for for just the way you played and how tough you were and, and what you did for him. Uh, and so we said to ourselves, you know, we really we need to pull you know peel the onion back and get to get to know Aaron and kind of see if we can get him on. Yeah. So thanks to you know Bobby gets an assist for for you joining us on Rinkwise. But uh, really, just let's start with um, you know you and, and and your background and and where you came from and and kind of what your hockey journey was uh, coming from British Columbia and how you ended up on uh, on the East Coast in Providence as a college player. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in a small ski town of Revelstoke, uh, British Columbia. A lot of people don't know it's actually the tallest vertical ski hill in North America. So um, I actually didn't grow up with it. The ski hill looks a lot different when I was a kid. It was just a little hill, but now it's, like I said, the tallest vertical. Um, so yeah, just a small little ski town. Played hockey, obviously, growing up from a young age. Uh, 
you know, I, and that's what I tell everyone. I really wasn't that good of a hockey player. I mean, you know, I, I was good enough. Um, but I, I got cut from all like the select teams and like, I played house hockey at you know 15 years old and just kind of snuck up the ranks. Um, but yeah, Revel Stokes a great little town, a lot of skiing, obviously hockey. And we were just, you know, a lot of outdoor stuff. And, you know, that was, that was pretty the bulk, pretty much the bulk of my childhood. Just, like I said, outdoor stuff, hockey and and that was that. Yeah. And, you know, so you, you eventually were able to, to, to you obviously played minor hockey and got yourself in a position to play, play junior hockey in, in, in the BCHL, which is a, is a league. A lot of our, you know, a lot of the, interestingly enough, a lot of East coast, Northeast kids uh, from this area of new England end up going out to the BCHL and we can, you know, there are yeah. different reasons for that, but you played for the Vernon Vipers uh, and uh, that's a pretty storied, a BCHL team, but what, you know, curious did, was, was the college route something that you had always kind of seen happening for you? Because at the time that you were coming up through the ranks, I mean, major junior was still pretty much the accepted, you know, path for a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, hockey players that aspired to, you know, to, to just keep playing. So curious about, you know, whether the BCHL and college was always something you did or did that or had a mind for, it, or did it evolve for you? Yeah, that was always my, that was always my path and my goal. Uh, like I said, I wasn't really that, that good. Like, so major junior wasn't even an option. So okay. <laughs> I didn't really have to, to entertain that. I mean, I got a couple camp invites, but um, you know, probably one of the money grab invites type of thing, but uh, hockey is yeah, a business, man. Hockey it's a business. Yeah. It's all, yeah. I, I mean, I totally get it, but yeah, I, I just, again, it wasn't, it wasn't really an option for me. So, um, you know, I, I, I barely squeaked, into junior a really um i filled a niche and uh played my role well and and that's how i how i made it and how i just survived to to even stay in that that league and i mean that's what i tell all the kids that i work with now it's like don't you don't have to necessarily be in a rush uh and i mean you know look for those niches and those roles because yeah like again i i barely barely snuck into junior a um like i scored one goal my first year uh, a junior a uh, a lot more penalty minutes but again I was just you know just surviving right you're just I'm just trying to stay in the league and that was you know a pretty common theme in a lot of my career but again you just stick with it and uh, I mean how I got to the east coast is is kind of another story and that's with the adversity part and and what led me down uh, that road but um, yeah like the Vernon Vipers again if it's kind of like the small fish, big fish, and, you know, what pond you want to swim in. Um, being on that Vernon team was, uh, was obviously very, very helpful because I think we were, we were number one in Canada for a couple of years in a row there. Um, we didn't end up winning the new championships, but um, yeah, like there's, there's colleges watching us every game. Right. So um, yeah, I don't know if you want to tee that up, but I can go into kind of like how that all unfolded. One hundred percent. I mean, you know, free, free flowing. Con- I mean, you know, like as as yeah. I as I alluded to, you know, Vernon. I mean, that's just they're they are one of the you talk about name brand or name teams in various leagues. You know, and you, you know, people can dis- you know can can debate that, but but when yeah. you look at the British Columbia League, I mean, the Vernon Vipers are. And you know, what's funny. I was at the Flood Mar tournament, and one of the Vernon one of Vernon's 
coaches yeah. walk around. I immediately keyed. I saw that. I saw that crest, that logo, and I immediately recognized. Oh, there, there's Vernon. Makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, no, absolutely. Let's uh, you know how how you said you filled a niche. So let's let's start with that. You know what kind of what kind of player you know were you, and how were you able to kind of get get in there, and then what were you able to do. Um, because as you know, as a, as a player, there's always someone that's trying to take your, you know, always someone trying to take totally. your spot. Right. And so, you know, you talked about, you scored one goal that year, but you had quite a few more penalty minutes. So what was that yeah. need and, and how were you able to, to, to progress and develop, to, to, to be able to grow and, 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 and evolve as a player in the right direction? Yeah, for me, I could always hit. That was my, that was my thing. I just had a knack for it with the timing and, you know, a lot of it's a, a mentality and a mindset of, you know, a lot of football guys probably tell you the same thing where you don't have to be the biggest guy, you know, to run through someone. And that was the thing for me. I could always run through someone um, instead of just hit them, you know, and I always had that and I could skate. Um, so that's what really got me to junior B. And then from junior B, I started getting some interest. Uh, we were affiliated with the Vipers then. Right. So that was kind of the natural progression. And I remember like I boxed growing up with, and my dad was a boxer and, you know, we, we put the gloves on that summer again, because he's like, you're going to have to, you know, start, start throwing down the way you're playing. And, uh, and we did. And, you know, I started doing pretty well. Um, that first year, Vernon, I, I won my first handful of fights. I was feeling pretty good. And then I remember I, <laughs> I couldn't drive home for Christmas my first year because I, I picked a fight with the wrong uh, farm boy from Saskatchewan. He was a 21 year old and he beat me senseless. I first, that was my first broken nose. I've had a few <laughs> and I woke up in the morning and I could not see a thing. I was swollen shut. And I remember getting up, like going through my billet house, had to get on the phone. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make it home today. You know, give me like, give me another day. And I just sat with ice bags on my face the whole day. And, uh, but you learn, you got to learn. Right. And I, I, that never happened again. So, um, but yeah, that was my really like fighting was sort of, uh, you know, the result of, of my play. I was never a fighter first, right. But, uh, but yeah, that was, it was such a different game back then too. And it doesn't seem like that long ago, but this is, that's, you know, almost 20 years ago now. And when I was in junior, so yeah um it's changed a lot and but that yeah that was my niche and um you know how brown came about so you know and this is a lot of like where my book is is centered around is the adversity piece so i got really badly burnt um in a gas fire accident my after my second year with the vipers we were out doing our team party camping and i was you know i was uh pretty reckless uh young man to say the least I was always messing around and um, a bit of a pyro and I was you know playing around with gas and fire and next thing you know I basically like blew myself up obviously not on purpose but um, you know a couple things led to another and you know this accident happened and I was stuck in the hospital I got airlifted to Vancouver hospital uh, woke up in the morning kind of you know not really I was pretty you know, knocked out from the painkillers, but it all started coming back to me. And, um, again, the, my book, you know, we'll go into that, but otherwise you'd probably be here all day. I could tell the story of, of what, what all happened that night. And I mean, it's a good story, but it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a rough time obviously. And so how Brown happened is, 
I, so I was 40% second and third degree burn. So they told me in the hospital that, you know, I wasn't going to play hockey. Um, they didn't say never, but you know, I naturally asked like, cause our season was in four months. I had one more, basically one more crack at the can. I had one more year of eligibility in junior to get a scholarship. And again, like I wasn't, no one was knocking down the door to, to offer me a ride. I hadn't talked to one, one college in two years. Right. So, um, you know, they're obviously after the more skilled guys. And, um, so anyways, I'm sitting in the hospital about two weeks in and I get a call from my, my junior coach. And he said, Hey, I just got a, got off the phone with Brown university. They're, they're looking for this type of player. And I mean, I think his exact words were the coach from Brown said, I need a guy to put the fear of God into the defenseman of the Ivy league. Okay. And, uh, and my coach said, I got the perfect guy for you. There's just one problem. Obviously I've been stuck in the hospital here and I don't, you know, I'm there for a while. It doesn't, no one really knows what I'm getting out. Right. And he said, just, you know, give them a call. They just want to, chat with you and so I called called the assistant coach from Brown uh Danny Brooks at the time and he's got this heavy heavy Rhode Island accent I'd never heard a Rhode Island accent before and uh yeah it was pretty open-ended you know he just basically said you know we're sorry to to hear what happened we wish you the best in recovery if there's ever a chance we get to to see you play that would be that would be awesome and um but again just kind of take care of yourself and nothing expected or anything like that we just you know wish the best in recovery and and it was left like that and I just remember you know hanging up the phone and laying in my bed that night and just uh yeah I made a decision that night and that it really changed the rest of my life just I, I just started asking why you know the doctors are telling me I, I can't play hockey in you know a few months because it's going to be too painful all these skin grafts I'm going to have to have are going to be too limiting I can't sweat properly their risk of infection is too high. There's this big long list. Mm -hmm. And I just basically made a decision that, you know, those weren't good enough reasons for me. I'd worked, you know, 20, I was 20 years old by then. And I'd worked too hard to, you know, get this opportunity for a scholarship. And I, you know, I, again, I made a decision and I just, I refused to, to let that, you know, be my story and the way it kind of ended for me. And, um, that's where I really got introduced to the visualization again, cause my mind was all I had. I was bedridden. I couldn't move. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just started visualizing, you know, healing, you know, my body healing at like a cellular level and those burns, you know, rejuvenating and then walking out of the hospital and, you know, putting on my gear and, and signing that letter to Brown. And, uh, I mean, I could go on and on about, uh, there was a lot of surgeries. I ended up getting like kidney stones, appendicitis, like all these things. Cause I was, you know, pushing my, my body too far trying to recover from these burns. But long story short is yeah, like it worked. I was able to, to come back and play hockey and, you know, again, not without a lot of pain and, and <laughs> adversity along the way, but I signed with Brown and then, uh, and then I shut it down for the rest of the year because I was like on crutches coming to the rink just so I could play. And this is when you could get shut up with any painkiller you wanted. Right. Right. Yikes. Um, How many games did you play that year? I think I played 20 or 25, wow. something like that. But and I got off to a pretty good start. Um, like, I think I was a point a game, which was pretty rare for me. And um, the first 10 games, and then I started having this pelvis issue because you know those third degree burns in my 
in my legs were were so deep that I mean the consensus was that the muscle was I was just so out of whack and trying to recover from you know this this trauma basically and um, it just caused a lot of problems to the point where I just yeah like I couldn't walk to and from the rink and I was just getting shot up again just so I could I knew I was close with Brown because they were coming to watch me at like a set date. So I'm like, I just got to get there. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. Yeah. And it was, uh, it's, it's a pretty good story and it was, you know, it was definitely a hard time, but. That's unbelievable. So were there you know, the coaches and the teammates, how did they help you, you know, <clears throat> achieve your goal? Yeah, they just, I mean, they, they were pretty hesitant to be honest of, of me playing. Um, but this was, again, when, when you made the decision, the doctors didn't make it for you, right? Where I think that's, that's more the case now, especially with the concussion awareness, which is, again, that's a good thing. But, uh, but yeah, so they, they were just checking in with me every day. You know, how do you feel? Um, you sure you don't want to take a night off? Things like that. So, so you go through all that. Talk about Brown itself and getting there yeah um yeah so I, I committed like i said and then i uh i again i basically took the rest of that year off just to just to recover from my injuries and um when i got to brown it was you know when you go through a life-changing experience like that and i mean maybe yourself or people you know a lot of people will say the same thing it really changes your perspective right yeah. on life and so you know, I went to Brown and I had achieved, I'd achieved my dream. That's what I wanted to do is get a scholarship to, to play a division one hockey. And my first three years at Brown were like, I was just enjoying being an athlete and a, a student athlete and having lots of fun and just, yeah, enjoying being on the East coast. And, you know, I still worked my tail off and, and filled again, I went back and I filled that niche and that role of, I mean, you couldn't fight in college, but just skating, hitting. And yeah, again, I just had a lot of fun because I'm like, when you go through that, you just changes your perspective. And I kind of lost that, that um, I wouldn't say grit because I, I still had the grit and um, I played that role well in my first three years, but I, I lost that. Uh, I guess you could say that, that purpose, right? Mm -hmm. um, Cause that's such a huge thing when you have such a strong purpose, um, well, you'll do, you'll do nothing or stop at nothing to get there. Uh, that's what really drove me, you know, to get to Brown, but I did lose that my first three years. And, um, I really didn't get that until, you know, right after our third year ended. Um, I had a, you know, exit meeting with the coach or the assistant coach. He came up to me and he said, you know, you ever thought about playing pro hockey? And I said, no, I laugh in his face. I'm like, no, I'm 24 years old. And, uh, you know, I didn't talk to anyone. Why would I think about pro hockey? You know, I, I basically was doing like pre-med. I, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do, but something, maybe doctor, sports, science, something like that. And uh, again, I, I went home that night and, and I just, I thought back to the, to my burn journey and recovering from that and achieving, you know, getting my scholarship to Brown. And, you know, I just started thinking like, if I can do that, why can't I go play in the NHL? Like that seems like, you know, less daunting than the, than the former. Right. So yeah, I just made, again, I made another choice that, that, that night I went home and I, I started going back to the visualization and, 
I stayed out in Providence. I made last minute plans to stay out in Providence that summer. And I basically just lived at the rink and, and trained and, you know, worked on the mindset stuff. And, um, again, people always, they'll look at my stats and they'll think, man, you really like figured it out that your senior year and, um, or you, you know, you got lucky and, and that's not the case. It was, uh, there was, there was reason to it all. Right. And, um, like I had more points my, my senior year than I did my first three years combined and it wasn't by accident. And, and then, yeah, like things just started happening quick. Like I went from no one knowing who I was at 24 to, you know, by the end of my senior year, probably being a top, I would say top five NCAA player. Um, just cause I always had that physical element, but then I had added the, you know, the offense and, and all that. So how did the, I mean, the coaches must've been really like taken aback maybe by this. Uh, so how did they, I mean, they obviously put you in, in position, you earned your way, you earned the ability to, to play in those key situations that would allow you to, to have the production and have the role that you would need to, to interest the team. So yeah. how did that all like dovetail in with, with your visualization and, and things that you had done to prepare yourself? I mean, I've got to think that from your perspective, you're just like, Hey, this is, this only reinforced your own personal value set of, okay, it worked to get me here. And now yeah. it's happening again. How exciting was that for you as a senior to go through that and, and suddenly then be rewarded, you know, with the, with the increased role in the production and, and how yeah. did the coaches factor into that, helping you reach that, that pro hockey level? Yeah. So we actually went through a coaching change that summer. So to, to your point, it really did kind of dovetail into the whole uh, scenario and, you know, my movie I was creating from, for myself where, you know, it was a clean slate. And so for me, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have got that same opportunity with the, with the same coaches. Um, and I liked, liked our old, our old coaches we had previously, but yeah, again, it was a clean slate. They didn't know much about anyone. And so that for me was a big, you know, driving force as well, where everyone's on the same you know, the same board here starting from scratch. And so I came in, you know, using this, this practice and, and all of that. And again, with, you know, especially with the visualization stuff and the confidence you gain with it, it really can snowball. Um, it can snowball in a bad way too, if you let it. But um, for me, it really snowballed, you know, that confidence really started growing because, you know, you get off to a, a good start and then you want to do it more and, and you get, you know, more driven and there's more purpose. And yeah, it just, it really just, it was like, you know, I say like throwing gas on the fire, um, you know, in a metaphorical sense and that from that. Oh, you certainly know, you know, yeah, you yeah. know, that's, that's one metaphor you can use, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it really was. And yeah. And I mean, I just, like I was coming to the rink in the mornings and working. Cause I just like, for me, I needed that skill if I was going to go play in the NHL and I mean, the, the, our coaches were really good that year. They said, I mean, you got, you got to work on that part of your game. You already have, you know, the skating and, and the, the physical part that's there. Um, so, and for me, you know, once I added that skill thing, like even the physical thing took on, you know, even, I wouldn't say a life of its own, but it really kind of escalated. Cause I was like, you know, I was almost 25 years old. I was, 215 pounds and you know you're playing against these 18 year olds and right. like I was hurting some kids pretty bad and I mean as much as you don't want to hurt people you know that was not my goal but it was just 
you know, it was, that just happened just the way the game was and the way I played. And with that, and, and, you know, like I said, I almost had a point of game, which was rare for me. And that to put that into a package was, you know, was appealing. And then I started getting more attention. It just proves sort of the concept and the journey that you're on. Right. Um, so for me, it just like, again, that year, it just got better and better and better and better uh, the whole year. And, you know, by the end I knew, I had a handful of contract offers and um, yeah, it was really cool. And the coaches were, were really good. Again, like I could come to the rink and, and work with the assistant coach on different skill stuff and, you know, just add that to my game and, and, and again, visualize it, see it happening in the games. And then it, and the crazy thing is that I tell people like, and then it would go out and I would do it, you know? Um, so it just, it proved so true again, um, in a, you know, in a different sense, like my burn was, was really about recovery. Um, really what's possible, you know, if we use our minds, right. Um, and then with, with my journey to, to the NHL in Brown, um, yeah, again, it just proved true two times for me. And it was, it was a really, really cool experience just to go through that and, um, yeah, just take me on that journey and, and set me up for life. Right. And, and knowing what's really possible if, if you, if you get your mind right. So were you dealing with complication, physical come, I imagine there were probably still some physical complications that kind of lingered as a, as a result of the trauma your body sustained, or did you, had you really pulled through and then it was, it was different challenges different physical challenges that you were presented with? Yeah, I dealt with the burn I dealt with for probably two years after, um, like I was in a full body suit for two full years just for all the scarring. Um, so really I dealt with it. My, my freshman year at Brown, I still dealt with it. I was still having the, some of the pelvis issues. It wasn't quite as bad, but um, there was just such a lot of imbalance there. And, um, but after that, you know, I, it's, it's funny. It just kind of went away. Mm. Um, and the, doc <laughs> the doctors were right in that sense. They said, you're going to have two years of, of recovery here. And they were right. I just happened to uh, play high level hockey during, during that recovery. Right. Yeah. You um, refused to take it easy. You, you said yeah. that, that, that timeline doesn't work. I don't, you know, time is not a luxury for me. Right. Yeah. I don't have that. I totally right. Yeah. So um, yeah, I pushed my body, you know, very far. And, uh, but again, like it, you're capable of so much more than you really think. Right. Uh, or you maybe be, you believe. Um, so yeah, that was, that was how the recovery went. And then, yeah, after my freshman year, I, I felt, I felt really good again. Um, you know, the scars were still, they looked really gnarly. They were like a deep, I don't know if you, you know, when you have a scar, they have that purple color, like especially sure. the burns, they were like, so I, my body basically looked like kind of like a map of all these different scars. And so I was just really gnarly looking for, for a few Guys years in the room when they, when they saw you. The, you know, I think Bobby, Bobby kind of hinted at, he was like, oh, yeah. time he saw you in the room, he was like, oh my goodness. They're like, what the hell is this guy doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, fascinating. Yeah. Now just before, you know, we'll, we'll move on from Brown. I was just curious, who were the, the coaches when you're looking back that who were the coaches that you think really helped you uh, reset your mind and, and maybe open the door mentally for you to say, you know what, this is going to be my next visualization. This is going to be my next goal and I'm going to attack it. Yeah. I think for me, like, the coaches that were the had the biggest impact probably were even before Brown. My first one was, was Larry black, who he's actually not with us anymore, but 
he was uh, the general manager of the junior B team I played for. And I'll never forget. He, he pulled me into his office and he just, he told me, he's like, don't forget who you are. You're not a goal scorer. Um, he's like, I think he saw, he was one of the first people that saw, I had a talent for hitting. I, like I really did. And that's, that's really what got me, you know, it, that's what let me kind of leapfrog up the ranks. Um, so he, he was really instrumental in just really solidifying who I was as a hockey player, because I think that, you know, if you don't know that can all be, you know, Sidney Crosby. Yeah. And most of us aren't well, <laughs> obviously. Right. Right. And uh, there's still roles to be filled in, you know, even though the fighting and that's, that looks a bit different, there's still roles to be filled, you know, right. Like guys make careers on face-offs and, and all these things, these different roles you can fill. Right. So um, yeah, sorry, I backtracked a tad there, but, yeah, so he and then my junior coach Mike Vandekamp was was really big in Vernon, um, and he gave you the, you know, the opportunity to play when you were hurt. Like that, that that's something. Like if he had been maybe risk averse, he might he could have said, "Oh, you know, Aaron, we, we really? were doing this, you know, like because." Oh, he I had no business playing. Yeah, really. Yeah, but he allowed you to do it. He gave you the opportunity. You know, he trusted you to know your body and say, "This is what I want to do." And and yeah, you know, like and sometimes. You know, sometimes we as, as human beings, we might have the tendency to to want to jump in and, and you know, well, I'm going to save Aaron yeah. for himself here. But yeah, you totally. you knew what you wanted and and they facilitated that. Yeah, yeah. No. So so they were I had some really good mentors along the way. And then uh, Roger Grillo was our coach my first few years at Brown there. Um, he was really good. Actually, I got a, there's a funny story about we like know, stories. <laughs> yeah, my first my first few weeks at Brown were pretty interesting. I remember I got there, like a lot of guys will tell you, when you move up the ranks, that filter really starts going like this, right? And it was pretty eye-opening for me, you know, how how much better the players were. And again, you have like 28 plus players on the college roster, right? So I remember getting there. I'm like, man, how am I, I'm, how am I going to crack this lineup? Like, there's, I wasn't the top recruit. So now there's, you know, there's the, the four lines penciled in and there's probably like three, four guys ahead of me on there. Like I'm way down the charts here. And, uh, I just remember, I'm like, I'm just going to start running everyone I can get my hands on. So we'd have like our scrimmages and, and practices. And I just started taking runs at everyone. And there's a couple guys <laughs> got hurt. And I remember the one guy we were playing in our scrimmage, he'd come around the net and I hit him so hard that his cage like dented into his face and cut him for like, like 40 stitches. And he ended up quitting hockey. Oh, wow. But like the next day he's like, I'm done. And, uh, and then the next one, I hit one of our best players and, and hurt him and our coach pulled us in and he's like, he's like, what are you doing? Uh, coach Grillo. And, and I said, what do you mean? He's like, you're hurting all the players. And I'm like, I'm just trying to make the team. Like, I, that's what I, that's my role. That's what I have to do. And he, I'll never forget. He said, you're going to be in the starting lineup. And I was like, that's all I needed to know. And uh, again, not that I was like, I was still buddies with the guys, but I think that again, I'm not advocating to like hurt people. Like for me, I just played the well, game hard. one. That's, that's, and that was, that's how you that were. Was, that's who you were. That's sometimes what happened. Right. Right. And, but I was still buddies with the guys and they maybe felt differently about me in that moment. But I mean, again, I was, 
I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to try and play on the team, right? Uh, the friends thing came as default after we're teammates, right? So anyways, I, I get on the, the starting lineup or make this, the, game, the first game and we play Cornell at home. And my first shift, I get a four-minute charging penalty and I didn't even hit the guy. So you can imagine that one. Like, I think I ran through the glass or something and almost killed the guy. And then my, and they score, I think they scored a goal, maybe two. And then my next shift, I get a five minute hitting from behind penalty. I get kicked out of the game. And next thing you know, we're down like three, nothing. And we lose the game. I didn't play. I don't think I played for like six weeks. I got healthy scratched. (laughs) Rightfully so. I mean, I was just being reckless. Um, And, you know, I took, I wasn't smart about the role. Right. And, but it was just funny because I remember, you know, a month into that stretch of being a healthy scratch and, you know, you kind of think the worst. I'm like, okay, well, there goes my, my hockey career is over. Not that I really had one. I was like, I'll just focus on school and maybe I'll never get back in. And another, again, like you just kind of, you got to stick with it. He was obviously sending a message for a good reason. I, I mean, I can't put us down for 10 minutes short in, in one period and um, you still want to win the game. Right. And, and so that was a message received and f- eventually I got back in and, and the rest is, is history, I guess, so to speak. New England hockey journals, Rinkwise podcast will return after this message. Catch the sacred heart university pioneers on the ice this season. The Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Do you want to skate fast? For 50 years, Laura Stam instructors have taught youth players to pros how to skate correctly, powerfully, and fast. Players who attend Laura Stam power skating programs learn how to skate fast by learning how to execute every maneuver in hockey. They become powerful, stable, efficient, and explosively fast skaters. If you can't wait for a clinic, join our subscription skills video service and we'll show you the skills taught at our clinics in an easy-to-use video format with training plans to guide your training. Register or subscribe now at laurastam.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-S-T-A-M-M dot com. You can learn to skate fast. Tell us more about this visualization, what you're doing now. And I mean, look, you, you had a pro career and in, in, in the minors and the NHL, but is there, is there a point in when you were as a pro 
playing to where you, you had that epiphany or was it before where you said, you know what, I could help other players um, have success in the same way I have, but, you know, through the, so, so, so talk to us about what it is you, you know, you, you, you're doing and how this visualization, you really see the tangible results. I mean, you're the example, right? You're the one that, that, that went through this, but how can this visualization process that you, that you, that you have developed um, really help players achieve their own goals in the sport? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll sort of preface it with how I, how it sort of came about, um, you know, after the, you know, the burn unit and, and my journey, you know, from Brown to the NHL. But um, so I, I ended up getting uh, my neck fused my last uh, or actually a year before uh, my second to last year playing pro. So similar or what Jack Eichel didn't want to get right. I know, I think we all (laughs) know that story. And so I ended up getting the fusion and that forced me to retire. Um, just wasn't something I could play with. And so, you know, I was only 30 years old when I retired and, you know, it's, you're still young then. Right. So it's, it's tough. And you're like, I, well, I've been a hockey player for 30 years and, and, and now what do you do? And so I, I went down that journey and I had my degree, which, which was good. And, um, so I started kicking down some doors and, and uh, eventually landed in wealth management because I, you know, my interests had shifted. And so I opened that, that door and, you know, I didn't really love it. Um, I liked parts of it, but you know, when, by the time I was about my, into my second year in that job and I was going through, it's funny, like once I retired from hockey and I had, you know, all the physical adversity then life really started happening after, after hockey for me, you know, everything from, you know, I was going through a divorce. My dad was sick. Uh, you have this loss of identity, you know, for me, when I, I was a hockey player, um, again, like disease and, and just all these things in my personal life really started piling on and it was really overwhelming for me. And so I ended up leaving that job and I went, and trained to do uh, an Ironman to raise money for my dad. And that was like really a distraction for me of something physically that I could focus on because I was like, I needed some physical adversity to take my mind off of all this stuff. Um, and anyway, so that, so now we're about three years post-retirement. Um, and then COVID hit. Um, well, I guess that was maybe fourth year, but I'm losing track of how long COVID's been going on for, <laughs> as, as most of us are. But we're about to hit two years. Yeah, so I had the, a, a failed uh, business venture uh, fell through last minute uh, locally, and then you know with COVID, I thought I got to write this book because this book had always been a side project for me. Mm-hmm. Um, not many people really know about about that story, and I was never one to to share it. I, I you know I wasn't much of a sharer. Um, some of my close friends knew a little bit about it, but they didn't really know what, what I went through. Um, you know, even my family didn't even really know to the extent what I, what, what I really went through. So I kept it pretty close to the vest and this book was always a side project for me. And I thought, well, now is as good a time as ever. And, uh, and so I started writing this book, um, just about, again, about my journey and what it's, what it's taught me and, it was really a memoir to start. And then 
once I got about halfway, it, it was like another light bulb moment for me. And I thought, this is what I need to, t- to teach people and, you know, to pass on what I've learned here. Um, and so the book kind of took different forms, um, you know, with incorporating the visualization and the mindset piece where, okay, it's not just a memoir. It's what can you apply, you know, to your life today to make a difference? Um, so I've really worked that in and then through that. So this is, you know, about almost a year ago now um, with this, you know, t- teaching people and coaching people, especially athletes, especially just on the visualization piece, because most of us think that, you know, the only way to get better as an athlete is to physically practice. And that's just, it's just not true. Um, you know, I would even argue that the mental piece is, is even more important. I think didn't Brett Hall say the game's 90% mental, 10% physical, right? I think that's so true. Um, so that really thrust me on this journey with, with the coaching and the book, the book is, is still coming out. It should be out. These things just take time, which I've learned to have some patience with. And so it's, it's being edited right now. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to have it out right now, but, um, I don't want to rush, you know, some I've put a lot of work into, so it'll, it'll hopefully be out sometime in, in 2022, maybe later in the year, I would say at this point, but yeah, like the, the visualization piece is, you know, especially with, with some of the younger athletes I work with now, ev- all of them have, you know, some level of like performance anxiety, confidence issues, um, you know, self-doubt, they can't make a mistake because everything needs to be perfect. And it's a different world than you or I grew up in that these young athletes are coming up. Um, A lot of pressure, like peer pressure, parental pressure, um, you know, the social media world is, is always highlights. So everything needs to be perfect. Right. And if, if I don't get drafted to the Bantam draft or, if I'm 20 years old and I don't have a scholarship, like it's all over and everyone, they're just really hard on themselves. So again, you can't, you can't have the peak performance piece. If you have all these, you know, anxieties and confidence. And like, I know when I was, I don't know how you felt, but when I was 13, 14, 15, even 16, like I didn't have anxiety. I just had fun. Exactly. Like I just went out and played my sport and just, I didn't have worries. These kids have worries now, which is, it's sad, but it's the truth. And, you know, that's, that's where like my business has really taken off with the younger athletes, especially of, you know, using the visualization and, you know, trusting that it's all just a, it's a journey. Um, You got to have belief first that you can, you can go there. Um, But really trusting the journey and knowing it's not supposed to be easy. And you're supposed to make mistakes and you're supposed to fail. And, you know, they, a lot of the kids look at me like my head's on fire again, no, no pun intended, but like, it's, again, it's, it's supposed to be hard and it's, you can have fun with it. If it's hard, that doesn't mean it's not fun. Um, so we really, we really focus on that with the younger clients and, you know, with, with the, some of the older clients, it's, again, it's, my whole, my course and my program is it's, it's writing your, it's directing your movie. So you, this is your life, you, AKA your movie. What do you want that to look like? It can look like 
it can look however you want it to look. Um, and that's the first step is getting people to be like, yeah, okay. Like anything really is possible. If you want it and you have that purpose, you can really do anything. Um, so that's what we really focus on is just writing your movie. You know, you're here, you came from here and you want to go here. And then there's this big, long journey. Right. And what, what does that look like? And, and trust that it's not going to be easy and that's okay. And that can be fun too. Um, and then just other layers are just added to it, you know, throughout, throughout the program. And, and then you start to see some of these anxieties right away, just start fizzling out. Right. Because it's just, again, you have to flip that mindset uh, and it all starts with the thoughts. And that's where the visualization really is so powerful because, you know, most people will try and change an action first mm -hmm. and that's always temporary. Right. I mean, we're coming up to new year's you, and everyone's going to have a resolution and how many of them stick with it? Probably like, I don't know, 5%, 10%, not very many, not very many because the actions are always temporary. Right. So you have to start with your thoughts and that mindset. I mean, we have these pathways hardwired into our brains from a young age. So it's, it, it's no, surprised that it's hard to change because they're they're physical pathways in our brains that are have been wired hardwired for for a long time a lot of us so you have to change that with your thoughts first and then you start to notice like you know different feelings and then those actions will take place so that's really what what the you know what the, the program does and for me the really cool thing was once I got to brown and and I took you know, I took, I was human biology and I was taking neuroscience classes and I'm like, like, man, I'm, it was cool because I actually was learning about what I had done. Oh yeah. Previously, okay. Right. And so that was really cool for me when I got to sort of study my own experience beforehand, it was, it was really eye opening. Um, and people always ask me, you know, how did you come across visualization? And I didn't like read a fancy book or or anything. I just, again, I made a choice in, in the burn unit and I, I couldn't move. So I, that's all I could do was think. Right. And once I made that choice, I, I, I made a choice to, to think, you know, in a positive way and, and align that, you know, my goals with, with that purpose. And, and it was just, it was so powerful that, you know, it, I mean, we already went through the story, but yeah, it allowed me to do all that. It propelled so. you. So your, your clientele, What's the age range of, of athletes you're you know working with on the at the at the lowest stage and then you know the the, the highest just to, to give the listeners an idea uh, of that and then I'm curious to know how much of the anxieties that you deal with personally with some of your clients are uh, driven in large part by comparing their situation to others and focusing on what other people are doing and why they're not. Uh, at the same level or in the same situation, because from my perspective, there seems to be a lot of that, especially in the sport where yeah. players are looking around at what other, you know, other peers are doing. So just, yeah, just if you could touch on that, I think that would be really, I would be interested in, in, in what you're seeing in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. So I work with anyone from 13 all the way up to 30. Okay, great. Is my range. Yeah. I mean, I would go higher. I just, you know, I haven't, the, you haven't, I mean, that yet, right. I haven't hit that yet, but I mean, primarily I work with hockey players. I'm, sure. I work with some golf, um, some golfers and some other sports a little bit too, but, and I think that'll progress more hopefully, you know, as the years come, because I'd love to work in some of the other sports as well. 
Um, but yeah, hockey, as you know, like the, especially like the pro, it just, it seems to get younger and younger. And that's just, that's just, you know, a, a byproduct of, of the, the average age of, of pro hockey players. But, um, you know, if, if Zidane Ochara called me and he wanted to work, then I, I would obviously not say no. And <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that age might creep up, you know, with some of the other people I work with, but the cool thing is, is, you know, this isn't, yeah, I work with athletes, but this applies to your life, not just Hockey. athletics, right? Yeah. And that's what I tell the people I work with first is just, you know, this is something you're going to go and take with you for, for the rest of your life, not just not just hockey, right? Um, so that's, that is pretty much the age range I'm at right now. And, um, but to your other point, I think you're totally bang on that the kids, especially the younger kids, right? Because I mean, it's, it's a little bit there in, in the pro ranks, but, but not as much. Um, I think once you get to pro, people, the, the athletes are more, right. they know what they have to do and they're, they're more self-aware, I would say, of, of, you know, where they're at and what their game is. And that's not to say there's not performance anxieties there. I mean, everyone deals with it to some extent. Um, I, you know, I still dealt with it at pro and, you know, it's, again, it's trusting that journey and, and just worrying about what you can control. Right. Mm -hmm. And especially with the younger kids, you know, with, with social media and everything's, you know, it's a highlight reel and, they everyone expects perfection right and to your point they're they're absolutely comparing themselves to other people and you know especially like the late if you're a late bloomer that's that's a, that can be a good thing right it's and but it's always dubbed as this bad thing because you know the these kids say at, at their 16 and all my buddies are getting drafted to the whl and and whatever and my oh, hockey yeah, right. my hockey career is over right, right? To them, that's what that means. And it's like, no, no, like, let's take a step back here and worry about, like, what can you control? Like, you can't control any of that. You can't control what someone else is doing, right? Right. And we, the thing is, we, we, we all know these things, but that dialogue that we're playing through our head is always, again, it's that positive feedback loop with those, those pathways that are wired in our brains for, you know, the stressors and, and, you know, the worries and, you know, worrying about what other people, you know, are doing and how that's affecting us where, um, you know, you really just got to focus on what can you do today to get better? Probably not worry about what someone else is doing, right? Exactly. Um, but it's hard. It's easier said than done. It really is. Um, and that's why you got to really change those thoughts first and, and, and override that, um, but yeah, I think, yeah, you're definitely banging on there uh, with them comparing, you know, to every, everyone else. Yeah. It's not just the players, it's the parents too. So mom and dad, you know, you don't, totally. don't eat into the anxiety, but you know, of your, of your kids by, by spending time talking about what, what, what Dickie and Harry and Tommy are doing, you know, just, just focus on your, yeah. your player, your kid and, and what they can do. Um, so, so Aaron, how do people learn more about what you're doing uh, and, and maybe make a connection if it's something that, that they think is intriguing, want to learn, learn more, how can they find you? Yeah, my website is is just my name, www.aaronvalpatti.com. There's a lot of info there. Um, you know, my email is a good good one to reach out to. That's aaron at aaronvalpatti.com. So fairly straightforward. Um, awesome. Yeah, 
That's, You've got your book those coming are, out. Those are my contacts. Will, so. will that be on Amazon? How would people be able to get your book when it when it is eventually released? Yeah, I went I went through some. Uh, I kicked the door open with the traditional publishers, a couple of them, and you know we almost did a deal, and that that fell through. So I'm back to to probably like a self or hybrid mm-hmm. publisher. So yeah, you'll see it all over Amazon and all these different platforms here. Hopefully. Hopefully, uh, you know, in the fall, I would say probably realistically, I, I got to go through once the book gets edited, a lot of hurdles. Once, once you so, get it, you know, let, let touch base with us and we'll, uh, we'll remind people that you were on the podcast when it's out and, and, and they can go maybe take a look at that. Now we, we've got you, we're going to do, we're going to extend you just a little bit longer. Um, we're going to put you through the rapid fire round All right, yeah. on the hot seat a little bit, but, uh, uh, people like the rapid fire round. So here we go. Uh, All right. Rapid fire round with Aaron Volpatti. It's time for rapid fire. Favorite NHL team player growing up. Definitely the Canucks uh, player would be Pavel Bure. Excellent. Who's the most respected teammate? You can have a couple of those. It's, you don't have to narrow it to one. Yeah, I think. I mean, the guys that I played with in pro probably, you know, Nick Backstrom was a guy in Washington that stuck out in Vancouver. I'd probably say the Sedins and, and Manny Malhotra was another guy. Awesome. Toughest player you ever played against in college. And then let's ask your, your NHL, the, the toughest guy you played in the NHL. Oh, college. I don't even know if I could come up with one in college. Um, NHL, I would probably say. Probably Jordan Tutu and Mike Brown. I had a few good run-ins with those guys, and uh, my face didn't fare too well in those ones. <laughs> <laughs> Can people check that out on YouTube? Is that one of those? Is that one of those? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, actually, and Wade Brookbank would have been another guy in the minors. I, I, he was one of my first pro fights, and I actually did really well against him. And we were going to the penalty box, and I didn't know it was Wade Brookbank, and he chased me around for the rest of the year trying to fight me. And I'm like, no, I'm not squaring off with you. <laughs> wow okay favorite place arena or city to play oh it depends if i was a healthy scratch or not <laughs> probably Nash- if i was a healthy scratch maybe nashville okay i could just go to to, to some of the live music for the day and just kind of chill out but uh actually it was a good place to play there as well but to play in i would say san jose was always really cool awesome um who from history would you most want to meet and why? Oh, I'm a big music guy, guitar guy. So probably Jimi Hendrix. Great um, answer. Great. Yeah, you and I, you I, and I would definitely get, get along very well. Yeah, yeah. What, what's your favorite yeah. uh, Hendrix jam? Oh, man. I know it's hard to say just yeah. what. Like Voodoo Child would be up there for me. I like that one. Like, again, I'm a big guitar guy. So, um, yeah, you'd like the jam room if you like music I have at my place here. But I would love to just sit down and jam with him. I mean, there's a few guys that are still alive that might be ahead of him on my list. But yeah, if I was to go back in time and just pick his brain of of that time he grew up in and uh, and just sit down and jam with him, yeah, that would be awesome. Elite answers, my friend. Thank you so much for your, <laughs> for, for your time. We're gonna we're gonna you survived the rapid fire round. We're gonna we're gonna stop it there. Uh, but again, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the RinkWise podcast. It's a lot of things to think about. And I think your insights, especially on just being able to overcome what you did and, and, and the crazy, insane timeline in which you were able to 
to go from not even talking to a college to, you know, earning a spot and in an Ivy league school and going all the way to the NHL, it's, it's really remarkable. And I think whatever you're doing, uh, whatever that home cooking is that you've got going on Aaron, I think uh, it's, it's definitely, definitely there's something to be said for it. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks Kirk. Really appreciate it. We hope you liked that insight, that conversation from Aaron Volpatti, really interesting character, looking forward to checking out that book when it comes out and we will follow up accordingly. Uh, but until then, uh, we'll look forward to bringing you more interesting stories and insights on hockey and the people that make it such a great sport. I look forward to catching you next time at the New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast. I'm Kirk Rudeke. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast.